Hello, I'm Dr. Eleanor Wadinobi, and this is Spotlight On, a podcast by the Safeguarding Resource and Support Hub. Spotlight On is a new series where we take a deeper look at one organization's approach to safeguarding that has been innovative. These are short insights from practitioners that aim to inspire. In this episode, we talk to Lauren Waters from Able Child Africa about disability inclusion in safeguarding. Lauren specializes in disability inclusion programming and disability inclusion safeguarding. Lauren currently works as the head of programs and advocacy for Able Child Africa, where she looks after a large portfolio that ensures children with disabilities in East Africa are properly included in programs. She is also the co-founder and director of FACE Uganda, a small NGO that supports the empowerment of women in rural Uganda. She's really passionate about disability inclusion and is involved in a number of working groups on this issue. In this episode, we'll talk to Lauren about why it's important to include people living with disabilities in safeguarding. We'll hear about new guidelines her team has developed and what practical steps we can all take to make a difference in this area. Lauren, can you tell us your story and the work you do in disability inclusion in safeguarding? Hi, Eleanor, and thanks for having me on the podcast today. Yes, of course. So Able Child Africa is a small INGO working for children with disabilities. And our aim is to protect and uphold the rights of children with disabilities. But we as an organisation realise that safeguarding is more complicated and slightly different for children with disabilities. And therefore, we decided to develop some disability inclusive child safeguarding guidelines that we could share with practitioners across the sector so that we could all better safeguard children with disabilities. To do this, we wanted to use the experience that we have, but we also wanted to understand from children and youth with disabilities themselves how best they feel they can be safeguarded in the work that we do. So we've worked with Save the Children and a local OPD in Rwanda, and OPD is an organisation of persons with disabilities, to consult children and youth with disabilities on the ways in which they feel safe in the work that we do. That meant that we got to speak to 15 children with disabilities and 21 youth with disabilities in Rwanda. And we also consulted with their parents. We consulted with children who had physical, visual, hearing, neurological and intellectual disabilities. We also set up a technical working group with 21 members of OPDs and INGOs and we asked for people to submit written evidence on how they can best safeguard children with disabilities. We wanted to make sure that the whole process of this piece of work felt consultative and felt collaborative. We wanted to have sector buy-in and we wanted this to feel like a sector-wide project as opposed to a random additional published document. 
Thank you so much, Lauren. And can you tell us, you know, why is it important to include people living with disabilities in safeguarding? Yes, Eleanor. I mean, fundamentally, disability-inclusive child safeguarding is about realising the rights of children with disabilities. So that's the first consideration. We want to make sure that the commitments made in the UN Convention for the Rights of the Child and the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities are actually applied and relevant for children with disabilities. And in order to do this, we have to fully safeguard them in our work. If we think about it, actually, among the world's 1 billion persons with disabilities, an estimated 93 to 150 million are children, and 80% of these children with disabilities are living in low- to middle-income countries where we all work. On top of this, we know that children with disabilities are actually at increased risk of harm because they are more likely to live in poverty, they are three to four times more likely to be victims of violence, they are more likely to have a mental health condition or a psychosocial disability. Shockingly, children with intellectual disabilities are 4.6 times more likely to experience sexual violence than children without disabilities. And then if we think about the intersectionality of gender, age and disability, this actually puts girls with disabilities at even greater risk of sexual abuse and harm. It's estimated that 40 to 70% of girls with disabilities will be sexually abused before they even reach the age of 18. So these statistics put it into perspective. They show us that there is an increased risk of harm that children with disabilities experience and that we as organisations and individuals need to understand those unique barriers they experience to feeling safe so that we can better safeguard them. The other issue is that children with disabilities are less likely to be in systems that offer access to protection, such as schools. We know that 20% of children with disabilities are currently out of school, and we know that children with disabilities are 17 more times likely to be institutionalised. So when you put all this together, it shows us that we actually need to think about how we safeguard children with disabilities particularly. And then... Another thought is, is that in recent years, development and humanitarian actors have started to think about risk in a more nuanced way. Safeguarding has been a hot topic for the last five to six years in, in our sector. On top of this, we also have an expectation now as organisations to ensure that disability mainstreaming is across our programmatic work. And that means we're going to have a lot more people and children with disabilities involved in the work that we do. As such, we need to address the shortfalls in our ability to safeguard children with disabilities because essentially there should be more of them in the work that we're now doing. And then finally, often the underlying reason for children with disabilities being at higher risk is linked to a deep-rooted stigma or discrimination that many people still have. For example, many people think that children with disabilities' lives have less worth or that they do not experience hurt or pain and trauma in the same way as others and therefore their mistreatment is justified. Lauren, those are some very compelling statistics and, you know, perspectives there. Indeed, multiple jeopardy. But is including people with disabilities in safeguarding only for disability persons organizations
I'm really glad that you asked me this question, Eleanor, because 100% no, it is for every organisation that works for children. So just to put this in perspective, if we understand that 1 billion people or 15% of the world's population experience some form of disability, any organisation that is working with children will in fact also be working with children with disabilities. It is the responsibility of organisations to ensure that children who come into contact with their work are safeguarded from intentional or unintentional actions that put them at risk. Therefore, I would say that all organisations that work with children are responsible for ensuring that their programmes are safe for children with disabilities too and that children with disabilities are protected from harm whilst in their care. Similarly, if you think about child safeguarding and how it applies to children with disabilities through a human rights perspective, then really it becomes the responsibility of everyone who attends to uphold basic human rights, as opposed to the responsibilities of just specialist organisations. The guidelines that Able Child Africa have written alongside Save the Children and Aweza Youth Empowerment are therefore really, really not intended as specialist advice, only to be used by disability experts. They are intended to contribute to a big conversation on how we as a sector can improve child safeguarding systems for children with disabilities, recognising that this will actually benefit all children as they take into consideration individual requirements and abilities, which will only strengthen safeguarding systems overall. One, one can see, I mean, when you think of the fact that it is 15% of the world's population, and, you know, thank you for bringing that to the fore, that it is indeed the responsibility of everyone. And Lauren, our audiences, you know, small and low-resourced NGOs and CSOs, what are some practical low-cost steps that we can take in safeguarding people with disabilities, please. We really wanted to make sure that these disability-inclusive child safeguarding guidelines are offering some practical and low-cost solutions for this work. So one of the first things that I would say that organisations can do, no matter how big or small that you are, is try to commit to disability-inclusive child safeguarding within the culture of the organisation. So, for example, leaders in organisations should try and include the child safeguarding guidelines we have written and begin to expect and encourage staff and partners that they work with to consider disability-inclusive safeguarding as integral to their work. The second thing that organisations can do is to carve out and ring fence time to allow staff to understand disability inclusion fully and how it relates to safeguarding. If we provide staff and partners with the time to really consider what disability inclusive safeguarding is and how it relates to their work, in our experience, these individuals can come up with really innovative and cost effective ways of safeguarding children with disabilities that we hadn't even thought of. The last point that I would raise is that organisations need to dedicate time for discussing concerns and gaps and be willing to learn and adapt. So what I mean by that is, is providing opportunities for conversations where gaps in the, the work that organisations are doing around disability inclusive safeguarding 
are able to be discussed and where staff can feel safe and comfortable talking about areas where they think more work needs to be done in the area of disability inclusive child safeguarding. In practical terms, some really low cost approaches could include some of the following. Organisations could include aspects of disability rights and disability inclusive approaches to safeguarding in regular staff training. So that means we don't need to have individual or specialised training on this subject, but we need to introduce it as a topic into training that already has been paid for or that has already been planned. Similarly, organisations can also identify a staff member who is responsible for ensuring children with disabilities are safeguarded. And in most organisations, this can just be part of an existing role. For example, in Able Child Africa, my organisation, I'm responsible for ensuring the safeguarding of children with disabilities, but I'm also the head of programmes and advocacy. One thing that is easy to do and one thing that we have provided a tool for is disability inclusive child safeguarding risk assessments that can be used at the beginning of projects but also at the beginning of activities. These risk assessments are really simple and they are just a tool that practitioners can use to identify risks that particularly relate to the experiences children with disabilities have in our programmes. Another thing that doesn't really cost much is to talk to children with disabilities and to talk to OPDs or organisations of persons with disabilities. Organisations can ensure that they consult with children with disabilities in the design of their work and consult with OPDs. And if we do this from the beginning, then we can design programmes that include them and keep them safe from the very beginning without having to make expensive adaptations later on in the project. Mapping out referrals early on as well is something that's relatively low cost and just requires organisations to have conversations with other organisations in the places they work. Again, there is also a guidance and a tool for that set out in the guidelines. And then finally, as I mentioned previously, organisations need to think about basic adaptations and modifications for the inclusion of children with disabilities in their work, but they need to do this from the beginning. And if they do this from the beginning, they don't need to be expensive. I just want to leave you with one thought on this question in particular, is to go back to the first point. Disability inclusive safeguarding doesn't need to be expensive if you just change the mindsets of people who are working with children. If you start to have commitments within your teams and within your staff that mean that people are committed to safeguarding children with disabilities effectively, then you will start to see changes in your work. If you ask people to commit to disability inclusive safeguarding and embed that within the culture of your organisation, then you will begin to see changes and adaptations in the safeguarding work that, that individuals do. Some of the commitments that we suggest that organisations or individuals make is things like we are committed to identifying and learning how we can better safeguard children with disabilities or how we can do better next time. Or we are committed to sharing our gaps, our lessons learned and our successes of safeguarding children with disabilities, not only within our own organisation, but with others too. If you change the culture and you get people to make these commitments, I promise you will see a change in the way that we are able to safeguard children with disabilities in our work. Yes, here the emphasis there on, on the commitment, Lauren, as you've said, right from the leadership and making sure that it percolates all the way and the fact that it has to be an integral part and you have emphasised that it indeed has to be 
Time has to be ring-fenced, which really means that there needs to be a deliberate and intentional effort. So thank you for sharing those very practical and you know, low-cost steps. And Lauren, what would you like organizations to do after listening to this podcast? Thanks, Eleanor. I think the first thing I would like organizations to do after listening to this podcast is to not feel frightened or put off by some of the expectations or the words around disability inclusive child safeguarding. Even that itself makes it sound very, very complicated. I would ask organizations just to create some time and some space for the individuals in the organizations to consider what disability inclusive child safeguarding means for them and to provide opportunities for open conversations about the subject. That would be the first thing I would ask organisations to do. I would also ask organisations who are not organisations of persons with disabilities to approach local OPDs and ask them for advice on how best to adapt their approaches or their their work in low-cost ways to safeguard children with disabilities. These organisations tend to already be doing disability-inclusive safeguarding, even if they haven't labelled it as such, and creating relationships and conversations with those organisations will ultimately strengthen any organisation's safeguarding systems. But I think there's something more that we can do as organisations, and I think that that is advocating upwardly and outwardly to promote the adoption of disability-inclusive child safeguarding. And by that I mean, we as individuals within our organisations need to begin to persuade others that this is a priority and this is something that we all need to take seriously. For example, donors in particular have really specific interpretations of what we mean by value for money, with some rejecting applications with higher costs for fewer participants, despite it being disability inclusive. Now, this poses problems for organisations who maybe are frightened or a little bit more worried about including children or people with disabilities in their projects and doing it safely because they do not have the funds to be able to do so. But we as organisations have a responsibility to fight for the inclusion of people with disabilities in our work and fight for the provision of budget to do this safely. Instead of hiding or avoiding costs for disability-inclusive child safeguarding, leaders and individuals with organisations should be actively encouraging donors to prioritise budget for safeguarding these, these individuals, using the argument that this actually promotes the equitable and rights-based arguments for the work that they are doing. I would also ask that organisations remember that all work in this area and the guidelines themselves are not intended to provide a definitive assessment of what constitutes best practice, because we're all still learning. As the international community has only just begun to ask how child safeguarding applies to disability, there is undoubtedly a wealth of untapped knowledge and experience alongside a real need for continued learning in this area. And we will only tap into that knowledge if we're all brave and we all begin to take these little baby steps towards safeguarding children with disabilities in our work. The last thing I would say is, please do read the guidelines. Please do look at the longer version or have a look at the shortened versions for organisations and for practitioners. And there are plenty of tools in the guidelines that can be photocopied and can be used as they are, and they are there to be used. 
So please do have a look at the guidelines and try to begin to use them in some of the work that you guys are doing. Thank you again, Lauren. That was Lauren from Able Child Africa on disability inclusive safeguarding. There were quite a lot of interesting learning points. So we have to put them into an infographic which you can find and download in the description of the podcast. If you'd like to share your own experiences of disability inclusive safeguarding or even share reflections on Lauren's approach, we'd love to hear from you. Please comment on this post on social media and we can start hearing and learning from one another. Thank you to Lauren for sharing her experience and to all of you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope to see you on our next podcast.